0: I wanted to talk to you before the show to let you know that on this episode of Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, we're interviewing PBS NewsHour's anchor, Judy Woodruff. She's well aware that the House impeached Donald Trump and that we inaugurated Joe Biden. It's just that we taped the interview a couple of weeks ago. Okay, don't tell the others. They don't know.
2: you.
3: To you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California. It's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, read all about it, or should we say watch all about it, television news. How are we supposed to digest it? Lately, it's with a box of Tums. Tonight we speak with a beacon of integrity manning a lighthouse against the chaotic tsunami of cable news, Judy Woodruff, host of the PBS NewsHour, is here to tell us how we should be watching the news and what it feels like to be a newscaster in an era of information wars. Plus, we've got another potluck info party. That's right, fresh-baked information with just a pinch of sagacity. I'm Adam Felber, the man who every week tries to lead our discussions by answering the question who, what, where, when, how, and why, and following our story logically until the final conversational paragraph. And now, please welcome the woman who not only buries every lead, but then covers the dead body of coherency with a layer of topical lime, it's Paula Poundstone!
0: Hey, you guys! Is it nice to be back with you. Uh, Adam, uh, you did forget to, to mention that we are awards eligible.
3: Uh, oh, yes. I, I, yeah. I, I, I apologize. It was an oversight on my part. Um, yeah. Hey, yeah, everybody we, who gives out awards, we're eligible. We, we are awards eligible.
0: Uh, oh, Oh, hey, I want to thank tonight's house band, our friend Colin Miller from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me.
3: Oh, I love that guy. I know him.
0: He's... I, I, You know what? Colin Miller, he's been with Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me for a long time now. And I'm not even sure what he does anymore because every time I'm on the show again, he's gotten some sort of a promotion. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, He he's keeps, you know,
3: moving on up. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, so his, so his title right now is General. He's General Colin Miller.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. And they changed the name of the show to General Colin Miller's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's that that's some reckless promoting if you ask me but they you know it's up to them.
0: Yeah, you know that you know that chant like when we march into work at wait yeah. wait don't tell me and there's that call and you know respond chant. Sure. Yeah. NPR who's PR? Colin Miller's. Colin Miller's.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it's I don't know but I've been told Colin Miller runs this show.
0: <laughs> well, in addition to the many talents that he brings to wait, wait, don't tell me tonight, he is our house band.
3: Welcome, General yeah, Colin. Miller! Yay! Love him.
0: Yay! Tonight it's Colin Miller's. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. <laughs> um, hey, I, I want to mention this before I forget, which is that we do still have. Our hundredth caller contest. Um, Yikes. and uh, we are precariously close to uh, wrapping that up. <laughs> we it's gonna be so exciting to finally have a winner. A hundred calls. We were there was a problem last week, the phone was off the hook last week. And uh, sorry if you tried to call and couldn't get through. Uh, but anyways, there. So I am so yeah, excited I... about finding out who is gonna win the. The grand prize, which is, of course, uh, hanging out with Adam Felber after the game. And Oof. any appliance uh, the the winner wants from uh, Roger Federer's appliance store <laughs> over on Miranda.
3: Oh, my God. To me, this is just like being, you know, having my head in the guillotine. You know, on the one hand, <laughs> I want to cling to life. On the other hand, I just <laughs> want it to be over. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're gonna love it. There's so you know, I'm so excited for you. uh,
3: Yeah, 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 each one more horrifying than the last. Each possibility. Hey, Paula. Yeah. uh, Last week, last week we uh, started our book club.
0: Oh man! Yeah, we did. We started our book club, and uh, we uh, we here at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone chose to read uh, Moby Dick. Right. That was uh, a.
3: that was a weird kind of vote by default, but yep, we got there to Moby Dick. Yeah.
0: No, it was good. It was, uh, we used democracy. We we voted and uh and then we accepted the results of the results of the, of the election.
3: We did. We did. Peacefully. We definitely did. And so we all agreed to read Moby Dick. Um and uh, let's find out how everybody's doing. Let's 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 open up the book the floor to the book club on how we're doing on Moby Dick. <laughs> Paula, why don't you start, give us your initial thoughts on on Herman Melville's great novel of seafaring and whaling and all that stuff.
0: Well, Moby Dick is a a novel by (laughs) Herman Melville. (laughs) And Uh and Herman Melville wrote it, and he made the title (laughs) Moby Dick. Um,
3: Oh, wow, Paula, um... Are you saying that in the first uh, week of our book club, you actually didn't read any of our book?
0: No, actually, I did. I read I read chapter one, which I think is four or five pages. Uh, and and that part way through, I realized I I don't understand this. I, I mean, I got you know my name, call me Ishmael, or my name is Ishmael, whatever it was. The first sentence, I got that. I felt good about that. Uh, and I thought of just stopping right there and calling it a win. Yeah. Um, But then I I pushed on. And you know what's weird is uh, I looked up a word that I didn't know. And by the way, I put it in this week's uh, vocabulary song. Uh, It's my word. Um, But I looked up a word I didn't know. But then what it turned out was there were whole phrases that I didn't know. And I didn't know how to look up a phrase. Um, But I I did eventually. You really
3: can't. You you really you really can't look up a phrase, but but you can kind of figure it out by context sometimes. There's a lot of classical and mythological references going on, especially in that first chapter. That's a tough one, I thought.
0: Yeah, it was very it was uh, yeah it was very challenging. But I will say that there were things that were certainly uh, relevant. Hold on, let me get me my copy of the book. Um, it's big. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's underneath this table leg. Hold on. Ah, uh, oh, fuck. Now the table fell. Ah, uh, oh, shit.
3: Uh-oh. Well, Damn put it, it back. Put it back. All
0: right, so there's a part where he's explaining sort of uh, the fates as theater, I think. And he's talking about how the bill for the theater of the fates would appear. And in the center of, I don't know, what is it, the third page, uh it says grand contested election for the presidency of the United States. Like, I that saw that, yes. One of the parts of the bill. And I was like so freaked out when I read that. And then the next thing was whaling voyage by one Ishmael. And then the third thing was bloody battle in Afghanistan. And I, I dropped yeah. the book. I'm like, fuck. I swear, if I read Trump's name in here, I'm burning this thing. It, it it was <laughs> it was remarkably uh, prescient and by the way there was a fart joke on the same page i'm like yeah. oh my gosh you could bump into this guy at the 711
3: <laughs> well the hey, what that I said go. to me he did mean a grand contested election and i guess there you know there were a few in the, in the uh, in the mid to late 19th century and um there have been giant wars in Afghanistan for for literally centuries at this point. Um, huh. Well, there you have it. Th- 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 when he when Melville wants to make a joke, he can spend paragraphs getting there. Yeah, I'll
0: tell you something. In terms of fart jokes, mine are faster.
3: Uh, your, your fart you know, jokes are faster, but yeah, but that I joke can, that you're reading about right there, he took paragraphs to say. Look, I get it. Ishmael going to sea isn't like going to be the biggest headline in the world. It's not up there with the contested elections and the uh, and the wars in Afghanistan.
0: Yeah, I wonder if we could get this guy to come right for it. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone.
3: Yeah, well, it would be good. <laughs> you know, only.
0: <laughs> Only on the weeks that Ken's not available. I don't want to... Yeah. I, I'm not trying to push Ken out. Don't get me wrong.
3: <laughs> uh, no, but uh, uh, Ken, yeah. Ken Lezebnik frequently does a kind of... Takes a stylistically Baroque approach to writing, say, my intros to the show and stuff. Yeah. There's something yeah, yeah. kind of Melville-esque about him. Um, and... And... <laughs> yeah, I, and, and- yeah. I,
0: I only I only made it that far for two reasons. One is I, I did find myself confused right off right out of the gate. And the second reason and then I reread that you know, then I reread my four pages. I really focused on that four pages. Um and uh but the other reason was I there's so much dust in my house. I cannot keep up with the dust. Every day I think I have COVID and I think it's just allergies. Uh uh, is so um uh, that's that's really how I spend my time is uh not dusting but railing but, against the dust
3: railing against the dust yeah
0: that's going to be the name of my autobiography railing against railing? the dust uh oh, that's a beautiful <laughs> title um,
3: when, when your anyways, third when your third autobiography hits i'm sure that'll be the that'll be the title um yeah i get the imaginary covids all the time like twice a day
0: yeah it's so frustrating um Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, wait. I was gonna say something and I forget what it was. Which, by the way, is a COVID symptom. Um, So that's my uh, that's my report. On to the
3: next. Okay. Um, I'll just I'll just be brief about mine. I read the first uh, uh, four or five chapters, and I gotta say, he's. You know what? uh, Back
0: up a second. Fuck you. We didn't even talk about (laughs) how far we would read, but I knew when I was rereading the first chapter, I said to myself, you know, Adam Philber is now, like, rewriting this book. He's not even... Oh, I I read four or five chapters. Yeah.
3: Yeah, There was a a
0: kid in Mr. Bachowski's class that was exactly like you. I can't remember his name now. It was Sean something. (laughs) Just the kind of guy that you don't decide how much you're going to read, and then you come in and you say, well, I read the first chapter, and Sean would go, well, I read four or five chapters. That's great, Adam. Go ahead. Keep going. (laughs)
3: Jesus! (laughs) You know, they say there's an anti-intellectual streak in American life, and I don't think anything illustrates that better than our show. Um, yeah, so I read the first four or five. I have to say, um the uh the first chapter, which uh I I, I recognize that it could have been a struggle for just about anybody because it moves so slowly. The chapter one essentially is Ishmael saying, My name's Ishmael, and I decided to go see So I gotta tell you guys. Um, uh, people really love water. That's pretty much chapter one. well, you really distilled it down, yeah, that's all it is though, and I think it's a chapter two or so is he you know he gets up, goes from Manhattan, makes it all the way to New Bedford, connecticut, I guess or or something, and then just then spends he, an entire chapter telling you how he's looking for a hotel, and well, he doesn't really have the can money take for a, good a whole one.
2: chapter.
0: I've traveled a lot. <laughs> Uh you know, you travel on the wrong day. You can take a whole fucking chapter to find a hotel. I understand that. That does happen. One thing
3: one thing I did notice is there's a ton of stuff about race in there. And you know, certainly back then uh, people had very different ways of talking about race and the word racism doesn't even exist, but um it's kind of fascinating how he um immediately finds himself talking about you know, race in America. It's, it's it's right there in the first couple of chapters. He accidentally I'm telling walks you, into a, bl- a black church and yes this uh, this book has been reissued
0: that's what happened somebody wrote it you know i'm sure that Hel- Herman Melville wrote it by the way uh and he right. called it Moby Dick um <laughs> yep. but uh, yeah he 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 wrote a different book a long time ago and then just recently this this updated model was put into stores and libraries that's what's happened
3: I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but it, it really does feel kind of ripped from the headlines, which is just which is just weird for a book that uh that that has come out, came out a long long time ago. So, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm going to just quickly move it around though because uh uh let's see let's see what what Bonnie Burns thought of chapter 4. Bonnie Burns up in <laughs> up in the Seamy Valley. How how are you doing with Moby Dick? Okay, well,
4: I was one of the advocates for Moby Dick and you all mocked me yesterday when we were on the production phone call because I said I hadn't started it yet, and I actually got as far as the middle of Chapter 3. I listened to it on audio tape. Oh. And here's what happened. I thought, okay, what, what I'm going to do.
2: What? Yeah, that's
4: that's fine. Books on tape. Yeah. Okay. So I took a it's long abridged. time. She
0: listened to the abridged bur- no. version. No,
4: I made a she point
0: listened of, to... no, what? She listened to the new Mattel tub toy version. There's a tub toy version of this book.
2: Yeah.
4: No, I made a point of going through, you know, and when they say you can listen to a sample, of listening to different readers. So I got to a guy, and it's 24 hours, by the way. They were all like 23 or 24 hours, unabridged. So yeah. I got to a, The last a guy chapters, seemed-
0: they're just dragging through it. The last chapters, they're like, and then... And then they I got going, to please up reading,
4: <laughs> right? And then there was a I whale. There's a big fucking whale.
0: Yeah, sorry. So sorry, I got buddy. to a
4: point where I got a guy, and he actually seemed like, you know, not this big, strong British accent that'd be relaxing to listen to. And I'm like, could I listen to that guy before I went to sleep? Yeah, okay. So I start listening to it, and I what I do is I throw the ball up and down the long hallway that we have, and the dogs go chasing after it. So I'm, like, listening to this thing, and I'm
3: just, like... Melville, you are painting a picture with words.
4: Yeah, there we go. So I'm, like, up there and upstairs, throwing the ball, the dogs are chasing, and I may be, like, three or four minutes (laughs) into this thing, and I'm, like, the top of my head is going to spin off. This is... Unbelievably awful. I can't even believe I bought something (laughs) this bad. And then I start thinking, I don't remember pushing the button that said purchase. So I go over the the sample was 14 and a half minutes. (laughs) I go over and I realize I haven't (laughs) bought this yet. I'm like, thank God. So I start thinking, like, should I watch the movie? And (laughs) Then I was like that would be cheating. Should I read like Blinkist? That would be cheating. So I ended up going to another book which was like had the most popular um reviews and that one actually was so good that I sat down and really listened, okay? Wait, you listen to a different book for book Yeah, book? and that
3: one <laughs> yeah.
4: That one I ended up Wait, so up what gone. did you listen to? It was like a different reader, but it was the most popular one of all the audiobooks. So that one was really good, and I sat down and I listened to the first chapter, and I got a lot more out of it. And like Adam said, I got like, okay, blah, 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 he had a hankery to get back to the sea, he had an empty purse, he didn't want to go as a private person, You know, all this stuff. He thought about going as a cook. I ended up, like, getting... Yeah, but you can't can't trade Fifty Shades of Grey for Moby Dick.
0: That's not... No, I
3: I think... If if I could try to decipher the the very dense uh, prose of of Miss Bonnie Burns, um, what she's saying is that she just found a different reader. No, she took a different book. No, I didn't No, she found the best-reviewed reader. Uh, I know it didn't sound like she said that, but she did say that.
4: No, you it know what she did? Sound Like I said that. Why do you guys you know, you always say that you, you don't said unders- Right, you chose a, a different, different book, book of Moby Dick, a different version. You didn't. Of Moby you Dick. did not
1: clarify that at first.
3: No, it was she not didn't clear, Bonnie. In the
2: end, oh um, <laughs>
4: you know, and I don't know how to look up a
0: whole a dialogue. Um, in the end, um, she asked <laughs> one of her dogs if they could explain it to her uh, because they... they
3: <laughs> the dogs had been listening. Um, okay, so well, I'm now glad you found a good version of it, Bonnie. I'm not sure the entire story was necessary.
4: Okay, wait. I just have to finish this part because this part's really interesting. So now I'm okay. laying in the hallway, uh, listening told you it to was this 50 book, of Grey. thinking, thinking <laughs> that it's really interesting. And I wanted to say I looked up Manhattanos, which was a word I didn't understand, which was residents of Manhattan Island. In New York City, I thought that was a great word, Mm -hmm. and Salt, which is an experienced sailor, I thought that was a great word. So I'm listening, 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 and all of a sudden the dogs get in a big fight, and that's why I got as far as the middle of chapter three.
0: Yeah, they were arguing over uh, (laughs) who was a better reader.
3: They were in a vicious dispute over Melville's treatment of yeah. race one in America. Of, one
0: of them had made it all the way to chapter four, and the other dog was like, fuck you, chapter four. We're supposed to read – just one chapter is fine. Yeah, but once again well, – Bonnie, was- I'm
3: glad that you got three chapters in. It seems like we, we could have something to discuss here if you were not more interested in discussing the procedure you went through in order to listen to it.
4: No, I – this is what I think. I could go to – uh, I don't remember anything about race. I might have been throwing the ball then, <laughs> not listening that closely. <laughs> I'm not surprised that he was influenced by D.H. Lawrence and Faulkner. I actually think that I could tune out during some of the chapters, pick it back up, and I wouldn't have missed that much.
0: Yeah, well, I, well that's, that's how you are in true, conversation, cause... and often you yeah. have missed a lot. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Tony hey, um much as I'm enjoying this let's let's keep rolling. Let's move on to Tony Anita Hall in Sherman Oaks. Yeah. Bring her on in and see how she's experiencing Moby Dick.
1: Um I am enjoying it so far. I think Ishmael's kind of a little hottie. Like I picture him as like a sexy drifter. Like a Hemsworth brother. Oh like a Hemsworth,
3: not like an Evans, like a Hemsworth.
1: Like a Hemsworth. Probably Um, Chris, and um, I like that he talks to himself, I really relate to that. And um, I can't wait to find out what's gonna happen at the Sprouters Inn, run by Peter Coffin. That sounds kind of scary. Um, so I've only made it through chapter two. I wanted to read farther, but I got locked in my room, my bedroom last night, and I couldn't get out. So,
0: really, (laughs) yes.
1: (laughs) And you live a little bit outside you? of my bedroom. And how and you did you alone. get locked in your bedroom? <laughs> I just, the door shut and it was locked. And I was stuck in my bedroom and I didn't know what to do. I was very panicked. My friends live across the street. They came over and let me out of my
4: bedroom. Wow. That is so embarrassing.
0: Um, <laughs> 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 Tony, I'm not surprised that you liked it because for you it's like that. It's like that reality show that you like down below, and also below because deck. of your. Pe- <laughs> oh, 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 oh yeah, that one too. That show that you also like, and um, down below like,
3: is some kind of Cinemax series. I think. Yeah, she
0: likes down below, and she likes below deck, and then also because of your penchant for cruises. Um, yeah, so I'm not I'm not surprised that you're that you're enjoying. Uh,
1: how far did you read again? Only through chapter two. I wanted to do through five, but again, the book was outside of my bedroom that I was locked in.
3: Well, I don't yeah. want to spoil anything about chapters three and four and five, but um, it, uh, what happens at the end stays at the end. But uh, what happens at the end is not <laughs> as spooky, um, as spooky as you might think. It actually. Really? Kind of comes across more as a as a mid seventies sitcom. All
0: right, okay. don't give it away. I'm don't give it away. It. It
3: give it away. I won't give it away. If
0: it turns out there's a, a captain and a whale, I'm going to be pissed. In
3: the boat? I mean, in the inn? No, in the book. Don't give it away. Okay, I won't give that away. Uh, you know what? I want to move on uh, quickly. Uh, Ken LaZebnik locked himself in the room and um, and and <laughs> sent uh, sent his little book report because he can't be with <laughs> us today. He's somewhere on the road between Los Angeles and Brooklyn, and he emailed his thoughts. And this is from Ken. Let me read it to you. (coughs) Hi, it's me, Ken Lezebnik. That's my impression of him. I had remembered the first line of the book as, call me Ishmael. That's not really correct. Moby Dick starts with an etymology in which Melville gives us two dictionary definitions of whale. As I read that, I suddenly saw the connection between nobody listens to Paula Poundstone and Moby Dick. Oh, there's a big word. The vocabulary word. Melville starts his book with a definition of the word whale and then immediately follows it with extracts, quotes about whales. Melville and Poundstone are cut from the same cloth. They love to introduce us to words. I suppose I play my part by providing the show with quotations. And to start at the real beginning of the book, as Richard Armour wrote, Melville died in New York on September 28, 1891, (laughs) blissfully unaware that in years to come, so many people would leave the hyphen out of Moby Dick.
0: Was it originally hyphenated?
3: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, At least according to Richard Armour, it was.
0: No, it was. not How would you know you're listening to the audio version, the edited, the the abridged audio version that entertains
4: your dogs? Okay, Paula Poundstone, I am listening to the unabridged audio version. (laughs) Yeah, but it's read by a dog. You listen to a (laughs) chapter that was... No, I read about Herman Melville, and oh. I
3: read about Instead the Instead of reading the book? <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's take down the temperature here right now.
4: <laughs> I want to say one thing. You know, I think of Ken as an intellectual on her show. That was a very intellectual thing that he pointed out. This is the same guy that wrote Ken Lezemnick's America that had fart jokes <laughs> And he, when he was in town, he'd come to the reading and he thought it was so funny with the fart jokes, like he couldn't even read the line without cracking up.
0: You know, if you knew anything about literature, you would know that Melville did fart (laughs) jokes. (laughs) Took him a couple of pages. Well, you guys, uh, excellent beginning on our uh, book club. Apparently one of us needs to step up their game in reading. Uh, I don't yeah. want to say who that is, but apparently won't, one of us We dead. won't say
3: who it is. And pa- Paula, um, it's you. So, <laughs> Paula, do you have a word for us this week?
0: I, I do, Adam. I have a word. Um, it's actually from, uh, it's from Moby Dick. It's decoction. It's a noun that means the action or process of extracting the essence of something. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. Recent days are a decoction of longing and dread. I think we should get this into the vocabulary song while we can.
3: Sure, sure. <laughs> we really uh. should.
0: <laughs> oh, boy, so close. This week's word is decoction. It's a noun that means the action or process of extracting the essence of something. He's really just a mouth that won't stop lying. Last week's word was inscrutable. It's an adjective that means impossible to understand or interpret. Lindsey Graham says stuff I just don't get. The week before that, the word was garrulity. It's a noun that means excessive talkativeness, especially on trivial matters. I have nine cats. I used to have 16. For a while, I had 11. They all left my furniture in tatters. Now I just have an Adirondack chair because it won't collect hair or pee. Going back before that, the word was insalubrious. It's an adjective that means seedy or squalid, not well kept or clean. I should have mopped up after my cesarean. And not long ago we had fi! It's an exclamation used to express disgust or outrage. Fi! How can Donald Trump still be on the stage? Fie! Let's never forget free, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Harder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused, jumbler, medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do. <laughs>
3: Jeez, all right, yeah. Yeah, Paula. I... Uh- I would like to say I, I find that to be a a compl- uh a particularly unreplicable version of your song.
0: It might have been. Um <laughs> there is a little uh there was a little guilfoy in this version.
3: A little guilfoy? Yeah. Alright. <laughs>
0: You know, Don Jr.'s yeah. uh, uh yeah, girlfriend who Sure. Yeah, who who yeah. coached um, that woman from Colorado in her speech.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you're just jamming now. Do you <laughs> know <laughs> yeah. this is a
0: little uh, talk about your fun facts. Here's a little fun fact right here. I have never played the whole thing through correctly in the history of the show.
3: No, yeah, hard to believe in it. As good a Glock player as you are and you've never done a mistake-free version. Wow. No, That, no, that should be an weird. inspiration it's... to all the other would-be musicians out there. Don't give up. Just because you make a few mistakes, you could still play Glock or whatever you play professionally, just like Paula Poundstone.
0: Well, you know, uh, I was supposed to be at the uh, Glockenspiel Symposium again uh, this year. Uh, in, in the month of February, but I, it, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm fairly certain.
3: Uh, it's 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 a pity, and one of the few bright spots of the COVID, uh, pandemic. <laughs> Coming up, Edward R. Murrow wrote one of the basic troubles with radio and television news is that both instruments have grown up as an incompatible combination of show business, advertising, and the news. Each of the three is a rather bizarre and demanding profession, and when you get all three under one roof, the dust never settles. Legendary newscaster Judy Woodruff is here to settle some dust about newscasting. That's next on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone.
0: On this day in unremarkable history, James Madison said, at a certain point, you've just got to turn it in.
3: (laughs) Thank you, house band Colin Miller. Colin, General Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Paula, you are a faithful viewer of the PBS NewsHour.
0: I am. I have been forever. Uh, for two reasons. One is it's high-quality, reliable news, and the other is it's an hour.
2: Uh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you don't favor sitting around and just taking in hours and hours of cable news just to get one or two stories out?
0: It, exactly. It's, it, it doesn't make you mentally ill the way uh, cable news does. Exactly. Right.
3: I definitely hear that. Well, we're fortunate to have a legendary journalist on the phone to talk about all of the stuff that's going on right now. Judy Woodruff has worked in network cable and public television news and is the anchor and managing editor of PBS NewsHour. Woodruff has covered every presidential election and convention since 1976. She has interviewed several heads of state and moderated U.S. presidential debates. Please welcome Judy Woodruff. Yay! <laughs> welcome. Wait, welcome.
5: wait a minute. You you left out the Garfield administration, Adam. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and
3: she's she served as Secretary of Peace for the Garfield administration.
0: <laughs> um, Judy, you know, if I have a conversation with somebody sometimes who thinks something different than I do, and I'll I'll say to them, "Well, where did you get that?" And they may cite a source that you, you know it doesn't make sense to me. Is there a way that we as consumers of news are supposed to be listening, reading, and watching the news? How do we know that what we're getting is correct?
5: Paula, that is such a great question. And let me just say, first of all, how uh, excited I am to be joining you, Paula, uh, somebody I've admired. I know I'm so lucky to call you my friend, but I'm um, just such a huge fan of Paula and Adam. I'm so happy to to be with you too, um, well, well, so I have you. to. Oh gosh! I have to. I have to pay due respect to the hosts uh, <laughs> before we go any any further. Um, <laughs> I could go on at length uh, about Please. this. Please, um, no, 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 no. We have we have
3: more important things to get to. <laughs>
5: um, but no, Paula's question is very is very good, and it's and it's completely relevant right now because. There is so much information flying around us. We swim in a sea of information and misinformation, too much of which is deliberately put there. Um, it's It's the world we live in thanks to technology, the internet, social media, and all the rest of it. So we love all this technology, but it's also made our lives much more complicated if we care about what's going on in the world around us because... Uh, There are now more, Paul, as you say, there are more sources of news that we just don't know we can count on. And it's harder than ever for people, for news consumers to figure out what is believable and what isn't. I mean, I think there are guidelines people can follow, but I'm not going to pretend that it's that it's easy anymore. You know, one of the reasons that
0: I mean, I've watched the NewsHour literally like when you guys did the tribute to Mark Shields. And I I forget how long he'd been there, 30 years or something like that. Um, And I realized, like, I'd seen all those episodes, right? I'd seen all those broadcasts. I watched his uh, hair uh, changes in the retrospective. Wow, I saw all that. So so one of the things that assures me about the NewsHour is that I've heard you guys broadcast stuff before and then— A night later or two nights later, and it doesn't happen often, but it does happen, you'll say, you know, we made a mistake. This thing that we said was incorrect. And again, it doesn't happen often. But if they can't say, oh, we made a mistake, we retract that. There, there's, there's no broadcast that says everything right. It's not possible. And so the very fact that they're willing to do that occasionally when it's warranted makes me trust them more. Uh, well, trust you more. So what's the standard for a piece of information to even make it on to the news hour in
5: terms of verification? Well, uh, first of all, Paula, you're absolutely right. I mean, I am a big believer. We are big believers in correcting. If we make a mistake, we correct it. We don't let it stand whether it's we made it a minute ago or a month ago. Um it it's it's all we have in the end at the news hour and as journalists is our credibility. That is the only thing we carry around. It's not how much we're paid. It's not how many people are watching or listening or following us online. It's, are we credible? Are we believable? So you're right. It's impossible to get it to get it right all the time, no matter how hard you try. And we've got a staff of about 150 people and everybody's working really hard all the time to make sure we don't put any information either on television or online or in our social media posts that isn't correct. But when we do, we fix it. But you're asking, You know, how do you know? Well, there are some sources that are generally considered trustworthy. You don't have to go around and double, triple check them. The Associated Press, um, uh, other uh, major legendary uh, legacy, if you will, news organizations from The Washington Post, The New York Times, um, the, the, The Networks. Um, uh the, the large news organization cbs news i'm gonna leave somebody out the the news organization <laughs> you know that people yeah that people wow. know about you know what i mean mm-hmm. but yeah, even they even they make mistakes and so we don't just hang it for example if cbs reports oh we know who uh joe biden's gonna pick to be attorney general mm-hmm. we're not gonna put that on the air unless we can confirm it ourselves with the Biden team Mm-hmm. um we're not going to carry something now you know clearly there are some exceptions to that if somebody i don't know the 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 ap is a is pretty much the gold standard doesn't mean they never make mistakes
2: mm-hmm. but
5: they are they've been around a long time and they've got a lot of reporters all over the world um they don't have an axe to grind they're they're about as straight as they come and so mm-hmm. if the ap is reporting something we're more likely you know to go with one source but if ever you know if we have time to do it we are going to get it confirmed ourselves i i think the first
0: i knew of uh i remember the movie uh, uh was it all the president's men where they were holding out at the washington post for the second source on on information about watergate but that's not a a a, a law right that's just a a norm there, is it not?
5: Right. I mean, we don't, we don't, there's no government uh, uh, imprimatur or set of laws that govern what we do. I mean, and even some, and some, you know, there's a big debate about that because uh, today, you know, the libel laws, not to get too much in the weeds, are, mm-hmm. are much, it's much harder to prove libel uh, because, you know so many of the people we cover are public figures anyway so unless you can prove malicious intent mm-hmm. you know but but i'm 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 going astray there i mean to answer your question directly no there's no law around it it's it's what do we what do we believe the standards are that we should follow in order to make sure that we are putting information out there that we believe to be true and accurate and, and you know, and I mean, there are some widely accepted rules of journalism, but there's no law, you know.
0: That, How do you decide, like, what matters? How do you decide for an hour broadcast what you should say, what you should investigate, what you should tell us about? Paula,
5: it's completely subjective. It's, it's the uh, collective judgment of about 15 or 20 of us who are the— the, uh, the central editorial figures, really fewer than that. At the news hour. I'm, as, as both anchor and managing editor, I play a role in all those decisions, as does our, um, our executive producer uh, and our other senior producers. If you add up all the years that we've been doing this, especially mine, as I said, going back to Garfield, <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's a lot of years of journalism, of covering stories of every kind you can imagine. I've been in Washington for over 40 years, um, covering, you know, every administration since Jimmy Carter. So I've seen almost everything that's happened here except for, I wasn't here for Watergate and I wasn't here for the Civil War or... FDR, <laughs> the great depression. But, but I'm telling, I mean, I've been around a long time, longer than anybody on our staff. And, and I've been around, um, you know, and my colleagues have been around. So you put all of our heads together and we make those decisions and we, we make them in what we think is the news hour frame, which is we want to cover the stories that matter most in people's lives, whether they are about taxes or, um, whether Iran is going to do something with a nuclear weapon, or whether it has to do with COVID-19, or you know, you name it, and believe me, these are tough decisions. We we spend about an hour every morning at nine o'clock Eastern discussing the landscape of everything out there, and we end up disagreeing uh, sometimes uh, on on, but but I'd say more often than not, we probably come come together with a consensus uh, that this is what we ought to cover. This is how we ought to spend this seven-minute block, that 10-minute block. Let's squeeze in as much as we can. And sometimes it's really painful. We've got to drop a block, for example. Uh, The other day, we ended up not doing really any long block on COVID because there was so much to cover around the attack on the Capitol building. It was such a mind-boggling, horrible um, assault on our democracy. That we felt that it pushed the other news out of the way, even the pandemic, which wow. I may have been, which may have been a first for us on that particular day. We've done something on the, it, we we still reported on the pandemic, but we didn't do a, a whole discrete segment on it, six, yeah. seven, eight minutes. If you get what I mean. So
0: I long for a day when half of a news hour episode could be on the crochet festival. <laughs>
5: just
3: it's never gonna happen. <laughs>
5: yeah. Well, we do, Paula. We do cover the arts through our canvas. Um, no, you do a
0: wonderful job. I my point is just that you know. it's, it's yeah. Because there's so so much of critical importance going on. It just it, I don't know about you. Do you get a stomachache? I, I I I swear. <laughs> I I want to yeah. do a class action suit against Trump just just for the. The uh, digestive problems that he's causing me, do you, I mean, I think a lot of Americans, I I tweeted the other day something about feeling, you know, basically anxious, uh, you know, sort of describing symptoms of anxiety. And within seconds, there were so many people saying, oh my God, me too. Oh my God, me too. Do you, do you feel that way in the midst of all of this that there is to cover?
5: I will tell you on Wednesday of last week when our Lisa Desjardins who covers the Capitol for us was crouching behind a barrier and she was she was next to several police officers with guns drawn and they were telling her to stay down. My oh heart my was God. pounding. Yeah. She was holding her own camera herself. She was by herself as a reporter covering what was going on inside the Capitol. Um, and my, oh, my heart God. was pounding. I mean, I was, I was sick to my stomach as I was watching. First of all, it was disbelief. I, I, I could not believe. Lisa was reporting from the inside, just a few feet away, as the mob was trying to break down a door into the House side of the, of the Capitol building. And she was describing the groaning and the creaking of the brass door oh, my heavens. as they're pushing through with a flagpole. And of course, then at some point they broke through and, and I worried about her. I worried about the members of Congress. I worried about other journalists. Um, no, I was sick. I was sick that, I mean, I don't mean literally sick, but I was sick. I know what you mean. Yeah. Sick to my stomach and my, and my heart was pounding, listening to Lisa, listening to our entire team, you know, who was there worrying about their safety.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was it was both country. completely shocking to me and, and it seemed completely predictable. Like we'd been we've been walking towards this and warning each other about this. I think that's where the anxiety that Paul is talking about comes from. I mean years of anxiety that people have been experiencing, thinking that something like this might be brewing, even though we didn't know exactly what it was.
5: Well, we saw it in Michigan with the with the um you know, they <laughs> overran the state capitol in Lansing, Michigan. Um yeah. And, and of course, the plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, which was pretty far along before those people were arrested. And right now, as we are, you know, I'm talking to you a few days before the inauguration, so this mm-hmm. may air after that, but we've been told to anticipate uh, pr- trouble in all 50 state capital, uh, capitals uh, and the U.S. capitals. So yep. and, and I know the security is being beefed up in the aftermath of what's happened, but we're all on alert now. And I mean, it's a remarkable thing for the rest of the world to look at the United States and, and what we are dealing with right now. It's it's just mind blowing.
0: It is mind blowing. And it's funny because we've seen ourselves a certain way for so long. And I think part of what's so heartbreaking is realizing that, that maybe in our entirety we weren't who we thought we were and that we have, you know, lots and lots of work to do um, to get that done if we are, you know, what do they say, a more perfect union. Uh, we're a little more distant from perfect, I think, than we thought we were, which is kind of crushing. It's like when I realized that I probably wasn't going to be an Olympic swimmer.
3: Oh, yeah, um, just like that.
0: Yeah, which was only and a I, few weeks ago, so I'm dealing with and both that those che- things. <laughs> on that cheery note, Diane
3: Sawyer said, great questions make great reporting. Stay tuned to find out more about great reporting. <laughs> the Cat of the Week is Twister from San Jose, California. back with Judy Woodruff. <laughs> Paula?
0: Judy, you know, one thing I was wondering is how do you decide what words to use? For example, um, I see sometimes on Twitter and stuff or hear people say on the, on the sort of opinion um, uh, cable news network that we don't say rioters, we say insurrectionists. Um, right. I know there's a thing where I don't think I've ever heard you say that Trump lies. Um, right. wh- why one word as opposed to the other? What, and how does that get decided?
5: Well, it, it does depend on what, what you're talking about and whether it's a loaded uh, thing that you're talking about, as in what the president says. Um, my view has been for the longest time, I mean, since Trump was a candidate, when other journalists started accusing him of lying, that, I, and I said this to our our staff, I said, unless I know someone's motivation, I know what's in their mind, I'm not equipped. I'm not going to call them a liar or say that they have lied. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I will say they have spoken um, a falsehood. I will say that they, What they said is inaccurate, that it can't be borne out by any evidence Mm -hmm. and on and on and on that. You know, it's not factual. And we certainly have done that a lot as the as the Trump presidency has worn on. But I I will tell you this. This has not happened lightly. I mean, I've covered presidents, as I mentioned, since Jimmy Carter and presidents do (laughs) Sometimes embellish, you know, they Mm -hmm. they want they want to make themselves look as good as they possibly can. So, sure, presidents uh, exaggerate. They have, um, you know, President Reagan used to talk about, you know, the drive up or down (laughs) that California highway um, and and being in a war that, you know, he he didn't he wasn't in. Um, But and, and Jimmy Carter would would. Uh, would tell stories about fighting um, the killer rabbit.
0: Right. Uh, What's so, the killer rabbit?
5: Well, that's another. That's a whole other thing. But my point is that yes, there are there are things that we can point to, but there are, but there are enough so that they become each one becomes kind of a bit of lore. But in the case of President Trump, it's been a steady stream of statements that. People take issue with that—that that can't be borne out. I mean, starting at the very beginning, when he said he had the largest crowd ever at right. his inauguration. Yeah.
3: Which what is your opinion of that? I, I'm, I'm just not curious true. because I think it's gonna. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it's going to be one of the enduring historical mysteries. It, uh, assuming that history doesn't just end, was that does that man believe what he's saying when he believes it? I mean, it, it goes to what you're saying about about lying. Uh, do you think he believes what he's saying when he says, I won the election by a landslide or I had the biggest crowd of all time? I don't know what goes on in his head, but from reading people who are close to
5: him, they say that he convinces himself of something. Uh-huh. He, he he has this relentless drive forward to make happen or make, um, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a word, make accepted whatever his view is and so he will drive that viewpoint relentlessly he will drive it into the ground until people do accept it and so and and they and what i what i hear them say is that sometimes they think he does believe it but other times he doesn't and it doesn't really matter because he's adopted that point of view and he's going to keep pounding it uh until the day he dies so uh you know, that's what we're dealing with here. It doesn't there's no distinction between what he believes and what he's pushing because he wants it to be true. And your point earlier
0: is that you can't know what's in the guy's head and the kind of news that it appears to me anyways that the news hour does is that there's a there's a trend in, in our country um like, I do watch a lot of MSNBC, um, uh, and, you know, I watch it a little bit with a grain of salt because it's all, um, it's a lot of opinion stuff. Um, but they don't say, here's our editorial, and now we have blah, 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 doing their, you know, their opinion piece. It, it's all sort of mixed in. Um, what? W-
5: the news hour doesn't do that? No. I mean, we have, we do have someone you admire. I've uh, admired a lot. Mark Shields uh, joining David Brooks until Mark's retirement uh, in December. And, and, and now uh, succeeding Mark is a wonderful journalist, Jonathan Capehart. He and David are be- going to become our Friday analysts. Friday is my favorite night. He- even in the case of, of, of Mark and David or, or David and Jonathan, I mean, these are journalists who base their, what they say on their own reporting. Mm-hmm. They don't just sort of make things up and, and spew them or spout them. I mean, they, they, they both make telephone calls to, to <laughs> people. They get in, they read, they get information. And, it, you, you know, you may disagree with their conclusion or their analysis, you know, people are welcome to do that. And we like it when they disagree with each other. We think that's healthy, that we want healthy debate. But, um, but it's based on information, on real information. And, you know, that's that's the difference. So, I mean, you're asking me, do we, do we feel our job is to push a point of view? No. Our, our fundamental philosophy is the news hours here to tell you what happened. And it's up to you to make up your own mind about what you think. Now, does that mean does that mean we don't have a brain or, you know, we can't (laughs) see what's in front of our eyes? Uh, Yes. And we do point out when the president says things that are false. But we don't I don't feel it's our job to label to label him.
0: Uh huh. When you're interviewing somebody and I've seen this over and over uh, with both both Democrats and, and Republicans, if you're if you're interviewing somebody and and they don't answer your question. They just say, it's like they had a speech and they're willing to break that speech up into parts and they wait for you to ask a question and then they do the next stanza of their speech. Um, but they're not
3: answering
5: your question. What do you do about that? I jump up and down and and just shake my fist
3: at them. <laughs> nice, <laughs> and then just edit it out later.
5: Um. <laughs> yeah, because I've never seen that. No, I wish I could do that. No, I tr- what I try to do is not is not go crazy on the air. I try to say but what I'm asking is this.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Or let me come at it another way, Mr. Secretary or Madam Congresswoman or whatever. I mean, let me ask it this way or let me ask again. Uh, are you able to answer the question? Um very well that some people sometimes just don't want to answer a question and they're not, you know, and, and, and it just depends on how determined they are not to say some do of you, them are very practiced at not answering.
0: Do you ever notice that? Okay. I noticed this particularly with guys, but, um, that they'll say your name a lot when they're not going to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Uh, it depends. I mean, I, you know, I I guess I I do notice it, but I notice it both with people who are trying to answer and people who don't. It's interesting. I think some public figures, uh, you know, like to do that. It's interesting. I don't know. You're, you're, you know what, Paula, you are a much more astute observer of the news hour than our typical viewer. So you're gonna, you're gonna um, uh, be a, have a better judgment on that than I am. It's it's well, Judy, watching.
0: I'll tell you why I do that.
5: Judy.
0: That's exactly Judy. What I've <laughs> noticed. <laughs> Judy is no, they, yeah, they do d- that. It's like, I think it's like, I, it must be a little bit like, um, uh, uh, LBJ putting his arm around someone's shoulder that he's yep. trying to, uh, compel to agree with him. I I think that they'll use your name. Oh, I notice it all the time, and it frustrates the hell out of me. You're not jumping up and down, shaking your fist, but I want you to know that here, in my office slash bedroom on my treadmill that di- I don't turn on, I'm jumping up and down, shaking my fist.
3: You know um, what? That actually brings up brings up something very funny, which which I want which I want to ask Judy about. Judy, if I can, Judy, ask you this. Um, <laughs> Judy. Uh, yes adam adam please. (laughs) what about being being in in your office slash bedroom slash home can you can you tell us what it's like being a journalist in the age of covid i mean it's it's just bizarre isn't it
5: well let me put it this way i haven't put on a pair of high heels in about 12 months 11 months (laughs) (laughs) um that's probably good uh, 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 I, no, actually, I, I take that back. The first two months, I anchored from home. I felt I needed to get into the costume, you know, so I would put on mm-hmm. maybe first six weeks, I would put on the dress, you know, because I do, I do need to look presentable, anchor like. <laughs> right. I put on the dress and, um, and then put on for the first, like I said, month or two. I think I wore heels, and then I realized this is ridiculous. They can't see in the studio we show the entire anchor desk and you can see the feet of the anchor through the desk a little bit. And I guess <laughs> I was just in the habit, but now I'm at home and the only thing, you, I'm sitting in our library in front of a bookshelf and you really only see from the waist up. And so I could be wearing a pair of jeans. Um, usually I am wearing a dress or a, or a suit or a pantsuit or whatever. So it's I'm, I'm, I'm appropriately, quote, I hope I'm appropriately dressed, <laughs> No more heel, no more heels. And and the dirty little secret is most of the day I'm sitting around in blue jeans or black blue jeans um, uh, with a raggedy sweater. I'm wearing the same raggedy sweater I wear every day in the winter right now. Um,
0: That sounds exactly like me. You know, I'm hoping that um, you'll sign off on this. And I I don't know if this is the right time to ask it. But um, I have a proposal for a coffee table book. Uh, called um, the feet of PBS anchors. Um, I've, wow! I've, yeah, some photos I've taken over the years, just from <laughs> on that set where you can see the anchors' feet.
3: Um, I would I would wonder about the the Venn diagram that where where. Where people who like feet and PBS viewers intersect.
5: <laughs> well, I'm right now. I'm wearing my very favorite clogs. If you want to know the detail, I mean. Oh, say that slower. These, wow. I love these shoes. So, <laughs> what can I tell you?
0: I think it's good to know that you're a person. I think that's very. Um, oh wait, speaking of people, uh, tell us because um, I listen to uh, I listen to the Al Hunt James Carvel. Um, uh, uh, podcast and, uh, tell the story that you, that you told about tape, you know, broadcasting from home, uh, <laughs> because here you can forever hear my dog Mo behind me and you can hear, uh, my assistant Wendell get up sometimes and, 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 troop around like a Roman soldier. And, uh, I try so hard to make the audio, you know, pristine, but it's almost impossible.
5: Well, it it is. We try very hard here, but but my husband Al Hunt and I live in a condominium in Washington D.C., and I have two Newshour people with me. I have a, a technician slash producer, and then I have a makeup artist who comes to make sure that I don't look like myself exactly <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> on the air. i I've, I've, I've seen you looking like yourself, and, and you, you look beautiful. <laughs>
5: Um, but, but so the two of them are here. The other person who remains in the condo is my husband, who is normally well-behaved. He goes back into the bedroom in the back, you know, away from the library, closes the door and is quiet. There are days though, when he's just come back from swimming or at the gym, where he is opening and closing doors, opening and closing the refrigerator, <laughs> opening and closing the microwave while he heats up his latte at 5.30 in the afternoon. Um, so in those circumstances, the viewers know more than we want them to know about what goes
3: on in our house. Does that get on the air? Do those sounds get on the air?
5: Yes. I mean, because if I'm in the middle of saying, say I'm interviewing a senator or a, or a member of Congress, and a door slams, or the refrigerator closes, <laughs> or Al, you know, his, his, you know, puts his foot on the. We have one of those, those recycling things where you put your foot on it to lift the lid. Oh yeah, your, like, you'll hear, you know, the click and then the throw. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I think it's good that he's re- recycling, though. Um, uh, uh, Judy, if I can ask you this, Judy, Judy, has, um, <laughs> has Judy has, Judy, has this year been been harder or easier to be
5: a news broadcaster? Because it's not like you have to scour about for stories. Well, it's been both. I mean, I I'm it's been easier from the standpoint of there's no commute. I, I get up in the morning and I'm immediately at work. I'm already at work as soon as I wake up. Um, I don't have to drive anywhere to go to a meeting or to do an interview. I'm not, I don't meet people for lunch or breakfast or coffee or whatever. Um, so from that standpoint, I think you could say it's easier. It's also easier, as you just suggested, because there's, the news has been overwhelming between the pandemic and the election of 2020, which of course has spilled over into 2021. Uh, and is you know, the division in the country and, um, those stories are in our face. We don't have to do a lot of digging every day to find out what what to report. Um, But on the other hand, we are surrounded by agony and tragedy. I mean, you can't watch what this pandemic has done. The fact that we have, what is it, 375,000 Americans who've died. We have um, millions who've uh, been seriously ill with the with the coronavirus we have a divided country that has just grown seems to me, more divided by the day and that all came to a head with the uh, assault on the capitol um, on january the 6th we're covering some really tough terrible sad um sickening things and um that that's you know, that I'm not gonna say that's been easy. That's that's made it tough. Um, I will say this, Paula, you know, for journalists who love what we do, I mean, we love being able to report on what is going on in the world and to make sure people know what, what's important that's going on around them. It's given, I think, a number of us, a lot of us, a, a great even greater sense of purpose. I like to think that that was already there. I mean, I already love journalism. I love what I do. I I I just feel so lucky to be to love every day the the work that I'm that I'm I'm supposed to do and do do. But I love it. But it is the case that right now we're all reminded of you know why it matters so much. People people desperately need information right now. They need right now to know about vaccinations and Right. You need to know about, you know, the, the coronavirus and, and so on. And, and I you know, I could go on and on. But so it's it's both. I just wait. I just want to say I just want to say one thing. When you talk about
0: having a job that gives you a sense of purpose um, and 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 loving it and having that reinforced by the experience that we're in right now. Well, I just want to say sifting litter boxes is very much the same. I uh, I have nine cats, you know, <laughs> and I get up every day with a sense of purpose to get to those little boxes. I, so I just, you thank know, so, so you and yeah. I are the exact same, Judy, in that
5: regard. Sorry, uh, Ellen, go th- ahead. Thank you for putting me in my place. I appreciate that. No, I didn't mean it that way at all.
2: No, <laughs> I, just, I meant... Uh, <laughs>
0: I, I, sift, I, sifted, I sifted litter boxes for Garfield's cat, so just keep that in mind.
5: <laughs> uh, it's one of the many, many reasons that I've always had profound respect for you, Paula.
3: <laughs> it's sense a sense of purpose, absolutely. Yeah, the sense
5: of purpose with which I go about my sifting.
3: <laughs> Judy Woodruff, thank you for reporting on How to Report. It is such an honor to have you with us. And now we're going to take that information that you just gave us and run it through the old pounce donator. Paula?
0: House band Colin Miller, if I can have a little background music, and by the way, thank you so much, you sound wonderful. If I can have a little background music, I'll tell you what the pounce donator spit out. I feel lucky to have the PBS NewsHour and news outlets where the truth matters. As we found out in recent years, culminating in the last four, there are no laws that mandate it, which has given rise to many sources of misinformation as well as a deliberate campaign of disinformation. Hey, we're just about to go in the air, Ed. You've written here in the copy that one of the Biden grandchildren led the protests that got out of hand at the Capitol. Could we verify that? Uh, Sure. Just ask Devin in marketing. He told me. I looked at the video. Definitely looked like a blonde woman. The Bidens have a lot of blonde hair, don't they? Could have been Taylor Swift, I guess. Her face is mostly covered, but she does look musical. Are the Biden grandchildren musical? Who am I, Devin and Marketing? Ask Devin and Marketing. <laughs> All right, we're on. Tonight. Oh My God News has seen exclusive footage of Taylor Swift and one of Joe Biden's grandchildren leading the flag-bearing crowd to the Capitol on January 6th, and you won't believe what they're wearing. That's coming up right after this message.
3: She's the anchor and managing editor of the PBS NewsHour, Judy Woodruff. Thank you so much for coming on our show. It was a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Adam. And thank you. Thank you, Paula. I've
5: loved every minute of this. Uh, and I, I, I love this woman, Paula and Adam. It's just great to talk to you. Thank you so much. All right. Love you, Judy. Thank, thank you
0: so much. Um, do you need a note to get into your meeting late?
5: Yes, I do. Could you
0: email me? something? (laughs) All right. I'm doing that. All right. I don't want to keep you anymore. I love you. Thank you so much for doing this.
5: Thank you, guys. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Be well, be safe, and uh, talk soon. All right. Take care. And thank you, you, Bonnie. Thank you, everybody.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Okay.
3: Coming up, it's our potluck info party. It's a poo-poo platter of data that's coming up right (laughs) after this. Fun fact, before he got the idea to call it penicillin, the scientist who discovered antibiotics named his invention Mold Juice, after his daughter.
4: <laughs> what?
3: <laughs> and
0: a daughter named Mold Juice. <laughs>
3: This is Tony Romo with ABC News coming to you live from in front of the Gator Christian Church off the I-95 in Florida, where in just moments, French President Trump will be taking questions from the press.
0: Hello, it is I, French President Trump, and I am here for the weekly French President Trump press conference. I shall now take questions from the press. Ask me a question! Go ahead, usually you will want to ask me a question. Hello?
3: Okay, I have one, I have one. Mr. President, Jimmy Tingle here with the Boston accent. Mr. President, 22, 22 year old Amanda Gorman, President Biden's inaugural poet, had a tremendous impact. She filled people with hope and common destiny. I don't recall, was there an inaugural poem at your inauguration?
0: There was, a guy named Chuggy read a wonderful limerick about Nantucket. Go ahead, ask me another question. I'll take another question.
5: Rock, paper, scissors. Okay, Uh, Kathy Ladman with the New York Attitude. Should there be more limits on the power of a president to make executive orders? Absolutely moon, Cassie, knows that I'm
0: not there. did you see that fucking Joe Biden has already made an executive order to expand emergency relief and exercise? Joe Biden cannot make us exercise. This is America. We do not have to exercise.
5: Ugh. Mr. President, the executive order says expand emergency relief and exercise the Defense Production Act. It does not just say exercise.
0: Oh, that is a relief. I cannot exercise. It takes planes, helicopters, limousines, and golf carts just to get me to bed. I cannot exercise. Besides, it would harm my family. If Kimberly Guilfoy exercises... She will snap Don Jr. in half. Go ahead. Ask me another question. A question
5: for moi. Uh, Karen Von Carlson, OANN. Did you just say that you're not there, sir? You're not at the White House? I thought it was you who was being inaugurated. Joe Biden was inaugurated, you dipshit. I thought that was just a Democratic hoax. Mr. President... You said you'd never
0: concede. I did not concede, Karen. They just did it anyway. It turns out conceding was just a norm. Mr. President... There must be more questions (laughs) for moi. Uh... Tingle? (laughs) Kathy? No? All right, screw it.
3: Uh... Sir Tom (laughs) Tom Snell, (laughs) CNN. Uh, Why do you think Eric and Don Jr. were crying after
0: your last speech at Andrews Air Force Base?
5: They knew they had a ride home on the helicopter with him.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the end of the Be Best campaign. (laughs) No, no, no. No, no. They really have to pee and the first stop is Ivanka and Jared's house.
4: (laughs) They didn't get
3: pardons.
2: (laughs) They don't look good in orange. (laughs) (laughs) This press conference (laughs) is over.
3: And we're back, and it's time for our get ready for this, everybody, our potluck info party. Now, to remind you of what Ooh. it was, what we did, yeah, I know. Adam, what? Adam, what? Adam, what? Adam,
0: answer the phone.
3: Oh, dear A- God. Really? A- answer the phone. Yeah. No. <laughs> dread. I feel complete dread. Hello?
0: Hey, Adam, it's me, Mike Boom Boom it! <laughs> I don't fucking believe in that. You finally answered! I I called last week, like a hundred fucking times.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, sorry about that, Mike. Uh, as as we said, the phone was off the hook.
0: Oh, uh, use a phone much, Adam? Jeez, uh, I, so no, nobody could get through.
3: Yes, as I have said, nobody could get through last week.
0: So wait, no, no, nobody even call, nobody called last week.
3: Exactly. You are the first call since the the week before.
0: Hold the fucking phone, Adam! The the, the, the week before you were a caller ninety
3: nine. Yes, yes, that's true.
0: <laughs> so, Adam, Adam, am I the am I the hundredth caller?
3: You are, Mike, Mike, boom boom Bonifit. You are. Oh my god, you are the one hundredth caller.
4: Oh, man that's fucking oh, fantastic. Takes it.
0: oh my god. Adam, so I get to hang out with you after the game, and and I get any appliance I want from Roger Federer's appliance store. I can't fucking believe it. This is so great, man.
3: Yeah, you do, Mike. You get to hang out with me after the aforementioned game, and you get anything from Roger Federer's whole store.
0: I just want to say, man, this means so much to me, Adam. I... I really thought, you know, like, Carol Burnett tried to win the 100th Collar Contest. Fucking Tom kind of. Hanks tried to win the 100th Collar Contest. I I can't believe it. I, I, I never won anything in my whole life. I, I never even got a, a prize in a box of cereal, for Christ's sakes. My mother would only buy Raisin Bran. I said, Ma, I, I want to get the kind of cereal where I can get a prize. She said the raisins <laughs> were prizes. I fucking hate raisins, man. They look like dicks that don't eat right. Hey, hey, you really know a lot about Moby Dick, man. It's a book, huh?
3: Yeah, Mike, it's a book.
0: (laughs) I, I always thought it was just a compliment. Get it? Get it, Adam? (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, Mike, I I I get it, I get it. You thought we did was a compliment. Have, I, we
0: are gonna have yeah. such a good time together. Look, uh,
3: look I, f- at I feel him. like I, that was a preview right there of the great time we're gonna have <laughs> we're gonna together.
0: Gonna have, hey, listen, do me a favor, Matt. Like, like I, I'm really excited to hang out with you after the game, and I, 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 I and by the way, I'm I, I'm maybe I'll show you my Trans Am or something, but uh, 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 don't bring that right. fucking <laughs> bitch, Paul Pounce, over there. Oh, hey, 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 hey,
3: Mike. Uh, Mike, you won a contest. You did not win the right to insult my co-host Paula Poundstone.
0: Yeah, yeah, that bitch. Hey, look, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> All
3: I'll right, later, congratulations. Matt.
0: Yeah, congratulations, it's Mike. F- fucking great. Okay. It's f- fuck, I can't fucking believe it. it's fucking great.
3: Okay. Um.
0: <laughs> wow.
3: Like wow. Boom Boom Bonifant, everybody, Paula. Yeah. It's finally over. It's finally over. The I the aid has it. been ripped off. The guillotine has come down. the The stage five diagnosis has come to fruition. <laughs> Mike Boom Boom Bonifant <laughs> is the the winner of of the of hundredth the, uh, caller contest.
0: Yeah, that's that's. It's clearly made him so so happy. Uh, that was, right. yeah. You got a lot of fans, Adam. You got a lot. You got a lot of fans.
3: I guess I do, but I gotta say, you know what? Now that it's happened, I feel liberated. I feel light. I feel fantastic. Yeah. I, hey. Oh. Oh my God, Adam, answer the phone. What? what?
2: <laughs> I no Adam. longer
3: have any real reason not to answer the phone, except all the other reasons. Um, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> <laughs> Winnie? Winnie, is that you? Winnie? Winnie Rose Feynman. Is that you? Winnie, can you say something, Winnie? I, I, I realize you didn't win the competition, but... but um, <laughs> Not not everybody can win winnie, um, and you know you might not be the winner, but you're still Winnie. you got that going for you um, so uh, Winnie, hello, oh my God, wow, that was um that was Winnie Feynman, who even I have taken to calling Winnie Rose Feynman, even though I know she uh. She made up that middle name just for me. That's uh, that's devastating.
0: Oh, my God. Adam. Yeah. Adam, a- a- answer, the fo- answer the phone.
3: Answer the phone. Paula, what if I don't answer the phone? Because I think we both know it's going to be Winnie sobbing again, and maybe I don't answer it.
0: No, answer the You can't leave her like that. Answer the phone.
3: All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Winnie. Winnie?
0: No, a- Adam. Adam, it's me, man. It's Mike. Boom, boom, boom. I don't know if they... it, it, it's me. All
3: right, hi, Mike.
0: Listen, man. I know you're a tough guy and everything. Uh, I
3: don't actually think of myself as a tough guy. It's not really.
0: No, you are. You brand. are, man. You're, you're, you're okay. a tough guy. I mean, I couldn't go. I couldn't go a couple of rounds. I wouldn't want to get into the ring with you or like a cage match. You know, like I wouldn't want to take a choke slam or a face buster from you, man. Cause you're tough. Okay. But look. <laughs> Listen. How can you listen to Winnie cry like that?
3: Well, what do you mean? I, I, I don't uh, know what you're I, asking, I, Mike. I, I, mean... hope,
0: I hope I hope you don't mind, but I gave her my prize. Wait, what? Yeah, I gave her. <laughs> I, I gave, look. I, I I I get to hang out with you after the game all the time, and she really wants to. And you took her mother's crock pot and everything, so she she could use a new one for her. Decoctions!
3: Uh, <laughs> decoctions, okay. Um, look, Mike, I didn't take her mother's crock pot, but I, I gotta say, I'm really touched by that kind gesture to Winnie, Mike.
0: Yeah, plus I was thinking I might get a little something on the side from her, you know what I mean, Moby Dick?
3: Oh, Jesus, Mike. <laughs> Mike, that's disgusting.
0: Adam, get it? Decoction, get it? Decoction?
3: Mike, I, I really don't get it. I, I, I mean, I don't want to get it.
0: Hey, man. Um, hey, man. Look, I gotta go. Have a good time with Winnie. Good talking to you.
3: Wow. Wow, Boy, Paula.
0: You, you got, you got a, an embarrassment of riches there, Adam.
2: Well, uh, that was, That's great. I, I got. Uh,
0: you know what? I am so <laughs> happy both to see Mike's evolution, and, uh, you know, because that was really. I know it was important to him, uh, to you know. It's not like he has every appliance either,
3: so uh, that was really a beautiful no, he, thing. He's, he's got a Trans Am up on cinder blocks in his garage, and I, I yeah. gotta say, Paula, I find that touching. Um, and I, and I was about to say something really nice about it, but then I realized that he kind of did just doom me to hanging out with my stalker.
0: I don't. I, I didn't. You know. Uh, Listen, you were gonna go out with a guy who 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 who, who uh, thinks decoction is a sexual term. Um, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm very proud of that. He learned decoction. I think on this show. That's, I'm very yeah. proud of that. We're expanding Mike Boom Boom Bonifat's, uh vocabulary.
3: Well, and I'm, we expanded I thought, his emotional range too. So that's. Uh... That's something oh to be said goodness. for us. Wow. Yeah,
0: that was... Mike Boom Boom Bonifit can feel empathy, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so, uh... uh he yeah. could... You know, he's a, he's a potential candidate in 2024. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. I heard the phone ringing. Where, where were we?
3: Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I have a lot <laughs> to process. But while I'm doing it, it...
0: It doesn't ring for a week. Yeah, and then...
3: Rang off the hook and rang me right into the arms of Winnie Rose Feynman, so fantastic. But uh as long as we're talking about things that are fantastic, <laughs> let's uh let's get back to that potluck info party, huh, everybody? Oh boy! <laughs> yeah. Now Yay. this is this is a new segment of ours, and we really love it. It's all of us show up at this potluck party, and what we have brought is not food but information. Uh Paula Poundstone, do you wanna kick us off? Potluck yes. info party! Uh,
0: In uh, in the highest level of competition in table tennis, uh, the ping pong ball has gone as fast as 116 kilometers per hour.
3: That's fast. That's really fast. Somebody hit a ping pong ball 116 miles per hour? Kilometers.
0: Kilometers. So it has to be... Hit by a European guy couldn't have been us because we can't do yeah. the math.
3: What what is that? Um, what is that in miles per hour? Because I'm trying to kid. 72. I'm trying to compare. No idea. What's that? Seventy-two. Tony, did, you,
1: did you just Google miles it per hour? I did
0: Google I, it.
3: Did you just say it's, it's 72? 102? seventy-two? Seventy-two. Approximately sound
1: right.
0: seventy-two. That doesn't Which sound is... right because I remember I was in high school watching a match on TV one time and they said it went ninety miles per hour. Unless they said kilometers and I just didn't realize it.
3: Oh, that uh, that's probably it. You know, because um, yeah. let's face it, ping pong is a is a bigger sport overseas, and pretty much everywhere overseas, they use kilometers and not miles. But yeah, seventy two is the game, though. Seventy two really is still no slouch for point. it. Sure does. <laughs> when like, you, I when think you
0: use th- kilometers, it really messes up the game. I encourage people not to use kilometers when they're playing ping pong. It's just you
3: know. Does that mess up the yeah. game? Okay,
0: it it fucks up the game, it fucks up the whole
3: game. Well, I'm sure yeah. Tony's going to Google this. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, one time I was playing uh, with my sister, I think it was, and uh, I was, I was, you know, I was killing her, and uh, you know, the game's to twenty one, of course, and I was right ready to uh, to win, and then she used kilometers, and oh. next thing I knew, yeah. she she won, so. Wow. It's so, rigged. Yeah, don't it's use- rigged. When, when they use kilometers, it's rigged. It's the most rigged it's ever
3: going to be. It's totally yeah. rigged. The, there are people and who have the, looked at it and said you could never be so rigged.
0: Oh, a lot of people have said so. And you know it. And I know it. The mail-in ping pong balls are the worst.
3: Well, yeah, because <laughs> they go over 72 miles per hour because they're in a car. Yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. Totally rigged. Totally rigged. Yeah. All right. Well, thank if you for that great piece of information, uh, Paula, because uh, that's fantastic. And that's actually pretty fast because those things are hollow and light. And, you know, a super fast professional Roger Federer type uh, tennis player serve is only like 130 miles per hour. So that's, uh, you know, it's in the same neighborhood.
0: Yeah, but are we talking miles or kilometers with Roger Federer?
3: Roger thinks in kilometers, but I'm giving it to you in miles. I think, I think, a, yeah. I think a fast uh, men's tennis uh, serve is somewhere up in the 130 region. I could be wrong, but if I was wrong, Tony Nehal would have corrected me already because she's Googling it.
1: I'm not Googling it. Oh,
0: yeah.
3: well, then uh, what, everybody has to believe is, me.
0: One of the things that you can get at Roger Federer's appliance store is a, um, is a ball timer, you know, a, vo- a velocity
3: uh, timer. A ball timer. Yeah, those are great. Hey, uh, Tony Nita Hull, step on up with your fun info party fact.
1: Yay! Um, So (laughs) machine-spun cotton candy was invented in 1897 by a dentist and a confectioner. The dentist's name was William Morrison, and he partnered with confectioner John C. Wharton.
0: Wow. It was an yeah, inside job. <laughs> yeah, really. And they it's called a... it
1: fairy floss.
0: Floss! Oh my God! Imagine flossing with uh, cotton candy. You know, um, before that, uh, when you went to a county fair, um, you you couldn't get cotton candy, of course. Instead, what you did was you went up to a vendor who just gave you a cup of sugar, and uh, <laughs> and we were happy. You, you can, we were grateful exactly. for that and, cup of sugar. Yeah. And if you lived <laughs> in a really rich area, you might, uh, they might put some dye in it and so it's colored <laughs> sugar.
1: Yeah, that was a <laughs> good old day. Yeah. So sad.
0: I, li- I, like, I like cotton candy. You gotta be in the right mood. You know, I wouldn't want it like every day, you know, but
3: it's yeah, a celebratory
0: yeah. food, no question.
3: It's really rough when your kid gets a thing of cotton candy, though, because it lasts forever and it makes them a mess.
2: The
0: kid?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely no, kid, messes kids, them up.
0: Kids don't last forever. They're, they're, that's not true. Kids <laughs> won't last forever.
3: Right, oh listen, I listen. There's nothing I can do. Mine are still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: This took a dark
3: turn. It did. Yeah. Hey, speaking of dark turns, everybody ready for my fun fact, my info yes. party piece of information? Please. um You know we had. Remember we had that aunt expert on our show, and we love her so much. Um, yes. Dr. Eleanor. Dr. Eleanor. Right. Well. Um, I go
1: to
0: her whenever I have bugs.
3: You know what? We have used her for for um, uh, spiders as well. But the, the ants got me thinking. Uh, or ma- making me want to kind of look up this thing and tell you guys about it. Which is that... Ants are, of course, as she told us, as Dr. Eleanor told us, eusocial creatures, which means that they have a societal structure that means that they biologically have different roles. Like there's one queen, right? And all the other uh, females are um, sterile and they do a lot of the work, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, we, we know that bees kind of have a, a structure like that. We had that bee expert, Picasso, um, on at one point, um, and he told mm-hmm. us all about that. It turns out ladies and gentlemen, uh, that there is one and only one on this planet, you social mammal, a mammal that has that kind of societal structure. Can you guess who it is? Us? Nope, not us. <laughs> uh, it's, the, it's, it's Africa's naked mole rat. Oh, that was going to be my next guess. Fuck. Yeah, the naked mole rat in Africa, they tunnel uh, under the ground. They've got these giant burrows. They secrete all these hormones that keep uh, everybody in line. And so, yes, there's one queen, and she reproduces. All the other females are kept in a prepubescent state, as it were. Um, the, the males, most of them are, are, yeah, are drones or uh, another kind of worker. But, yeah, they have, a, they have a society that's structured like ants or bees. They're the only mammal that does that.
0: Wow! And also, there's a big industry in Africa of um, uh, making naked mole rat clothes.
3: Yeah, <laughs> uh, whole it's a fashion thriving industry. African industry. Yeah. And if you're wondering wow. why why Tony is so quiet right now, it's because she has Googled naked mole rats and seen the picture. And these guys, they really should put a shirt on. <laughs> Are they not attractive? They are not they attractive, are not you attractive
0: really creatures. you really are Googling, they Tony,
1: are you terrifying oh. looking?
4: <laughs> wow. They really are. <laughs> you yeah. Yeah. have to terrifying. post a picture.
1: You slap
0: They're a Hawaiian known... shirt on those guys, though, Ugh. and they look fantastic. <laughs> and <laughs> they can work in Trader
3: Joe's. So they got that <laughs> going for them.
1: Oh, my God. They kind of have cute faces. They look like little baby walruses.
3: Like baby walruses with extend with overextended teeth and stuff like that, and and that haven't eaten in a while,
1: and they
4: look very naked.
3: <laughs> they sure do. They do not have fur. Um, all right. So My just,
4: question is, how would you come across this?
3: The naked mole rat. Well, yeah, you looked it up. I no, I learned about it years ago. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's just a something I'd always held on to. So, I, so but um listening to all that talk of the ants made me look it up again and get grossed out all over again by this weird and wonderful creature now
0: um funny birds now has been passed spoken down up. in the in the Felber family for generations uh, there's a there's a night in the Felber family when a boy reaches a certain age right um they they light a candle and the parents tell them about the naked mole rat in the in yeah. the Felber tradition
3: <laughs> usually it's the dad that does it you know to, it's we call it the talk <gasps> <laughs> hey bonnie burns bring yeah. some info to the party okay well elliot ness
4: the guy that uh you know went after prohibition and um al capone sure. who was the squeaky clean federal agent who in chicago at that time the whole police force was supposed to be Very corrupt. And apparently, Al Capone's people offered Elliot Ness um, two $1,000 notes on his desk every Monday, which would be the equivalent of about $20,000 a week today. And he turned that down. And actually, the reason they called the Untouchables uh, the Untouchables was because he put a group of law officers together that couldn't be intimidated or. So that's why they called him the untouchables. And anyway, when prohibition ended, uh, he went on to try some various jobs. He ended up getting divorced three times and he developed a drinking problem. He died penniless. He died wow. penniless at 54 of a heart attack. I thought wow. that was such a sad story.
0: That is a sad uh, story. And well naturally really, when you're... he
4: died he was pretty much forgotten and he was only resurrected uh uh autobiography he wrote with uh a co-author was uh published posthumously, posthumously. That's how you pronounce it. Yeah. And posthumously, that yeah. kind of like resurrected his reputation and then you know they started doing movies and stuff and that's how he became famous again. It's such
0: a sad Apparently, story. He didn't want Kevin Costner to play him in the movie. Uh,
3: to- <laughs> yeah, that was his his, his dying request. Yeah, was that and then nobody listened.
4: They didn't. He figure even got it out. reduced. He got reduced to selling frozen hamburger patties at one point, point. and was a bookstore clerk. Reduced. Wow. Um, it's sad, wow, right?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not surprised. A guy who was an untouchable, uh, being divorced three times. Um, apparently, every time yeah. his wife would touch him, he would go, "No, no,
3: no! Don't touch that! <laughs> I'm an Don't touch that! I warn you, don't touch that! <laughs> I told you when we got married, you can't touch that." Yeah, that is a that is a sad story. Can't touch it, that. It actually makes you wonder about MC Hammer a little bit. MC Hammer. Uh. <laughs> I got he's, it. Thank you, Bonnie I, Burns. I <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's he's the can't can't touch this musician from the you know from the nineties, but now I'm oh, wondering whether uh, whether he's uh, an untouchable.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. No, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. um yeah, there you uh, go. So that's another piece I, who, of
3: the info party.
0: Who knew that on this particular episode our hearts would bleed for Elliot Ness?
3: Yeah. You know what? Mine's yeah. okay. And ladies and gentlemen, that is our Potluck Info Party! Yay! We got Ooh. a Potluck Info I, Party! A Potluck yeah. Info Party! <laughs> potluck <laughs> Info Party! <laughs> potluck,
4: <laughs> info party. <laughs>
0: potluck Info Party! Wow, that's a wonderful theme wow. song. Thank you so thank much, Captain Grinkle. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Well, thank you. Um, did, did everybody get enough uh, info? Uh, uh, do you want to Take some to go. Um, you can, uh, Tony, gonna, you can you can I'm, take
3: the naked mole rat home with you.
4: Naked I'm mole I'm not
0: gonna I'll, I'll sand puppies. I'll
1: just wrap that called up. What? They're also They're called what? sand puppies. Sand puppies. Yeah. That's cute. By
0: one guy. One guy calls them sand puppies. Don't get carried away with that.
1: Um yeah, I'm not gonna be
0: able to use all this information. I'm I'm full. So uh f- please wrap it up and take it with you.
3: Yeah. Well, I brought in in a covered dish so I can take it home right now.
0: Oh, good thinking.
3: Um, Now, Paula, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week?
0: Well, Adam, thank you for asking. My book, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, is available at paulapoundstone.com. Lily Tomlin said of it, I laughed, I cried, I got another cat. Kirkus Reviews said the concept of a comedian doing a series of stunts to find happiness seems like a pure romp and there are plenty of great laughs but that's not the whole story a deeply revealing memoir in which the pathos doesn't kill the humor delivers more than it promises and by the way I'm the reader alouder on the audio version on CD and of course the paperback is right there at paulapoundstone.com waiting for you too on the other hand, if you go to cameo.com slash Paula P33, you'll find that I can make a video message for your friends, loved ones, coworker, and your neighbor who has been building a fucking McMansion for the last four years that would sound a little bit like this. Is there a reason you use a jackhammer for painting? I'd tell you more about Poundstone Industry Merchandise and Services, but our listener Heidi keeps me on a very tight leash these
3: days. Uh... Yeah, uh, not that tight leash. <laughs> um, and I just want to re- remind our listeners that uh, if if uh, if you're a sports fan and and who isn't these days, me and Jess Cesario's Starburns Sports simulcast has just been uh, getting more and more popular. It's been really gratifying. We've had thousands of listeners, so uh, keep an eye on my Twitter or on uh, the Paula Poundstone. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone Facebook page, and we'll be announcing the games that we're covering each week. That sounds great. Yeah, it is. It is. It's been a lot of fun. Um, all right. You can subscribe to this podcast. It's free. You'll get it every week at no charge. If you want to send us a mail, we're at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Once again, that's NobodyListens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. That is our show. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone. And yours truly, Adam Le Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Judy Woodruff, everybody. Yeah. yeah. And a big thank you to our house band, General Colin Woo-hoo. Miller. Woohoo! hoo Love to the general. Love to the general. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hall. Mixing by Michael Hoagie, Starburns production by the great Land Romo. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight.
0: Won't somebody please listen to me? Totally forgot what I was doing there for just a second. I, but you know, I came right back.
3: Yeah, you're back. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Winnie. Yeah. Winnie Rose Fineman. Yeah.
0: Congratulations.
3: Uh. Yeah. Thank you.
0: You know, I'm kind of surprised Cher Eva didn't call because she should have known.
3: I'm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised Cher didn't call because uh, oh, you fuck. know, she's such that good friends been. with Bonnie.
0: Yeah. That well, they used to walk together.
4: Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was gonna contact her, but I decided to let it play out the way it should. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Not muck with things. I'm in the Grey Gardens. What is it? Of my career. Because <laughs> of that stupid Billy. <laughs> what and by the way, I'm not. I have no idea what you're talking about.
3: It's what the way know? you chose to deny that made it sound like you are.
4: No, <laughs> I don't know why you guys don't understand me. That stupid Billy, who? Billy, you know what? Forget it. We had Judy Woodruff on our show. How great was that?
3: It was fantastic. Are you aware we're doing our fade-out thing right now, Bonnie? I know, but I would You know what's weird? You guys deserve it. (laughs) Do you
0: know what's weird? Is that right now, everything that Bonnie is
4: saying, she's talking about Moby Dick. (laughs) (laughs) That's a part I miss when the dogs were playing. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and we thought uh, Herman Melville took a while to get around to something. Bonnie just...